Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I am coming at you live, both physically and possibly metaphorically, from the closet. I am your host, Dallas. I'm Alexis. <laughs> and I can't stop laughing. I'm Anne. There we go. There we, go. we got it. And for Over today's to episode... Listen... The two thirds of us have their shit sorted, <laughs> and the last of us has been trying to dodge these allegations since he was eight years old. Hey, at least and... all three of us know we kind of like girls. <laughs> if there's one thing that unites us all, it's a love for women. Ah. Uh, and for today's episode, we will be covering a book led by many amazing women. The Dreaming Waking Hours by G. Willow Wilson, primarily, and a number of artists, including Javier Rodriguez, he says very slowly as he pulls it up so he can see everyone else's names. He is very good at his job. Yes, Um, he is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we got G. Willow Wilson. We've got Nick Robles. We have Javier Rodriguez, M.K. Parker and Mateus Lopez. That's a pretty solid lineup of artists. The art oh, was yeah. phenomenal in this book. Wonderful. I could literally talk for 45 minutes just about all the colors. Oh, and you know what? This might be the outlet to talk about comic book craft. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if anyone listening to this would be interested in talking about the artwork in a comic book. But never. This um, yeah, this would be it. <laughs> Anne, you mm-hmm. brought this to us. Yes, Talk to me I... a little bit about this book. Mm-hmm. Yep, like like a cat bringing in a, a prize from the field. I dropped this at your doorstep, and um, yeah, I dro- <laughs> I dropped it at your doorstep, and then I felt really bad about it because I'm like, wait, maybe we should have read Sandman first. And I started freaking out because I'm like, oh, no. Okay, so we have varying degrees of Sandman experience. I finished the run. Dallas, I believe you're still halfway through it, question mark? Yeah, half and some change. Half and some change. And Lexi, you just started today. I am currently nine minutes into the audiobook as we speak. Okay. So, yeah, you're basically an expert at this point. (laughs) Right, I'm pro. Pro. I will say, audiobook, big fan. Big fan. Very, very entertaining so far. Love the background music. <laughs> I, I got my copy from the library the other day, which is great because I got to skip out on paying $30. But now I have to figure out how to rip it because my computer doesn't have a CD drive anymore. Rip. <laughs> Literally. Literally. Um, so I felt really bad dropping this big universe on um, <laughs> you guys before you even had a chance to fully experience the original. But... Um, that being said, before I go on and kind of explain what Sandman, the Sandman universe is about and the dreaming, the endless, all that fun stuff for all our listeners, I have to know, did this book make sense to both of you? Did everything click? I feel like I, it took me a second, Mm -hmm. but I feel like the way that it was written made it kind of feel like a standalone to me. At least like I felt like the characters and like their challenges and what they went through made sense but I feel like once I read 
Sandman fully, it's all going to make so much more sense, if that, make, if that makes sense. Speaking of sense, damn it. <laughs> I think I would agree. I definitely have read enough to know and recognize all the cameo queens in this book because like all the main characters and their struggles and their arcs, like Alexa said, are introduced to us in this book. Mm -hmm. Like every main character you're going to meet for the first time and you're going to see them through their full story, which is the right decision to make with this book. But there are a number of characters who, if you don't know them are just, here's this new character fly with it. But if you do know them, you're a little bit like, Oh, them. But I also feel a little bit like I have read enough that this spoiled me a little bit for the ending of Sandman. (laughs) The title of the last trade paperback now has layers to it, for sure, um, that I was not aware of. So I'm a tiny bummered about that. But I mean, I I don't know fully what happened. I I would... um... I would like to I would like to point out that um when we proposed this book, um I believe you had told me you'd be finished by the time you got back from vacation with the original series. So I feel Ooh. like that's only partially on me for this one. The yeah. o- only a little bit. I feel like it's a major part of my personality at this point that I haven't finished Sandman. <laughs> and I I remember there was a point where you said when you finish Sandman you're gonna retire. I am. That is still yeah, okay. the standing promise, is that I retire from comics when I finish Sandman. Okay, cool. Oh, just, wow. just so we're on the same page. Okay. I'm surprised your we're... wife hasn't force-read you make me read that yet. <laughs> She's like, sit down, damn it! Like a lullaby every night. She's making <laughs> furniture out of your books. You need to relax. <laughs> My secret trick is that the main story only takes two omnibuses, but then there's a third omnibus of all the extra crap. And so if I just won't finish that third one for a while after... Spoiler listeners, we're covering Sandman the first week of August. <gasps> Gasp. I'm listening to it and not reading it. So, <laughs> I will have the whole main series read by that juncture. But in, even after that, there will be more Sandman that I mm-hmm. have to read. So I will technically not have to retire. Oh, so are we not reading the extras? We're reading yeah. issues oh. 1 through 75 and special number 1. Might have had a stroke, but it's all right. Yeah, it's okay. We'll we'll get to the good stuff. We'll we'll cover the death series later. Um, yes. Yeah. So glad to hear that. Even though it's spoiling a little bit for you, you weren't too lost. And let me tell you, there is a lot in that final volume that makes everything worth it. Like even if you do know that this is where it ends up, it's how it gets there that's the fun part. So for everyone listening, if that was something holding you back. I I actually approached this the first time I read it from the same place Dallas did, where it's like I had read enough Sandman to understand the basics, but all the new characters are completely new for this. They fit they fit in perfectly here. You get to understand everyone as well as you would any other book you were reading. So I think it's fairly new reader friendly, but for the best experience, definitely, definitely suggest going through Sandman first. And it's very, very worth it. But what is Sandman? Just to give everyone just a little bit of a background before we go into it. The Sandman is a series by Neil Gaiman and an assortment of amazing artists that the story of Morpheus, who is the Lord of Dreams of the Endless, this group of entities that have been around since the beginning of the universe and represent all these abstract ideals personified as people. 
there's death, there's despair, there's destruction, there's destiny, and they're all one great dysfunctional family. And it's it's really cool. And Morpheus rules over the dream world, which is the realm of all dreams, stories, and possibilities. It's the place all of us go when we go to bed every night. Um, so yeah, it's it's a really really high concept and really interesting place in the DC universe. It's it's really nice. Gaiman has like his own corner like set out where he's like, this is this is my place. These are all my toys. And he, he has a better deal than um Alan Moore had set up because he's like, only I get to play with these and you have to ask me for permission before you do. I think there's only like three things at DC that are set up like that. It's like the Sandman stuff, um, Starman from James Robinson, that character is specifically like only he is allowed to play with that. And I think Stargirl, you also have to get Jeff John's permission to do anything with her. So it's it's really interesting that DC has um, situations like that set up now. And yeah, Alan Moore got a, a bad deal. So bad that he quit comics Woo. until he didn't, until he did again, until he didn't again, until he did again. <laughs> and now he's writing short stories, a collection of which comes out this year. What happened? Yeah. And we support him in all of his definitely not witchcraft endeavors. Hey, let that man do the witchy. <laughs> let that man do the witchy. He, I fully believe that the Watchmen TV show was at least in part the cause of COVID-19. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A, a thousand percent. I'll, not, I'll... A ch- not a chance that that TV show came out and then a very famous wizard would be very upset that show came out and a global <laughs> pandemic happened like six months later. Like, so just sense. gonna throw so that out there. Um, throw back to when we talked about me hiding rocks under Carson's bed. Exactly. You and Alan Moore would have a lot to talk about. Oh my gosh. So that's sorry, back on to Sandman for a second and away from Wizard Man. That's the premise of Sandman. That's the premise of the of dreams and the dream world. The dreaming takes place within that world with new characters, including a nightmare named Ruin, um, a sorceress named Heather After, who is my darling favorite, and a, he was a cherub, right? That was the official, yep, named Mm -hmm. Jophiel. And yeah, they have some fun adventures in the world of dreams. And that is where we start today. It's a really, really fantastic setup. And um, just going over what we thought about the story in general, I I really, really love this story. It is very beautiful. I took a lot of notes going through this time trying to identify the major themes because Sandman is like, for, for comics and me, there's, there's regular comics, there's fun superhero action comics, and then there's like the level above that where things have a much deeper literary meaning and you can spend hours analyzing every line, every frame, every panel for days and days on end, and Sandman is right there. And I love it for that. And for me, a Sandman book has to be able to live up to that that hype, that legacy. And I think this book does just that. I can understand why G. Willow Wilson got the okay to play in this part of the Sandman universe, because it's just, it does a lot of really, really fun things. And I have to hand it over to you two, because I want to know what you thought about the story and these characters. Me first, me first, of course. Um, I loved this book. I feel like it's. I feel like also kind of especially because I haven't got to play around in the Sandman universe yet. It kind of 
it kind of came off to me like in its own little like world for now. And I know I'm probably going to get my world exploded here in like a week when I finish the audiobook of Sandman. But it was really, really fun. And I love the concept because I mean, um, little side story, but I took um, AP psychology in high school, my senior year of high school. And we did a lot of study into the subconscious and like dreams type of things. Mm-hmm. And so I was what's kind of curious about it. And I, I love this. I love the concept. I just think it's so fun to have like this real quote unquote world that we go to when we fall asleep and all of these entities and beings that are living there and guiding the course of our subconscious mind is very fascinating to me and I loved how it's portrayed I think it was really fun and I said it earlier but I'm a big fan of bright colorful books like I'm off just really really attracted to them <laughs> gosh this book was so bright I don't know why I was under the impression for so long that Bill Chris Everly worked on this book and I think it's because it was Matthias Lopes I was thinking about his colors throughout this entire thing and they are just so freaking gorgeous Mm -hmm. this entire book is just so goddamn beautiful to look at and i just i i've never had it before where it's like i instantly can just like create that connection in my head between a colorist between books because like i can identify different like pencils and inks and stuff like that but i've never been able to do that with colors so Mm -hmm. it's really nice that i finally have an artist who's like sticking out enough to me where it's like okay i can definitely tell this is your work this is specifically you so i am growing and evolving as a student of comics and the arts so (laughs) yeah professor dallas is smiling but we're not gonna (laughs) let him speak yet um i just do have to comment also i am a big fat sucker for like medieval-esque type books mm-hmm. and this little sorceress and her sword that she totes around sometimes really really makes me excited so i'm a big fan of heather anybody named heather after watching the heathers is a big fan she can come hang <laughs> love her as far as chosen names go heather after is pretty fucking badass freaking slaps goes <laughs> hard Make, I'm so upset I didn't go with a, pum, a pun that hardcore. That's, I also love her I mean, we do. boyfriend. Right? <laughs> God, I love Todd so much. And we will get into that. Mm-hmm. His little fishnet t-shirt. That little fishnet <laughs> t-shirt. Dallas, what are your thoughts on Sam and the Dreaming? Waking I... Up. My favorite part about Sandman thus far, I haven't read the big climactic finish that both Anne and Matt have told me will make me love the whole thing in a whole new light. But up to this point, my favorite has been the series of short stories that Neil Gaiman does that always sort of play with the idea that dreams are stories. Morpheus is the god of stories. And in particular, he has a strong relationship with William Shakespeare. And so I really liked in the dreaming waking hours that we got to talk about Shakespeare. We got to talk about authorship with Shakespeare, which isn't something I am particularly well versed in, but I am very well versed in the idea of conjecture and authorship, specifically in the Hebrew Bible, um, which is my field of study. So I, this like catnip to me, like finding out that there's some sort of disparity on who wrote something and we can look to the text to find out who it was. Oh boy. Does that give me a knowledge boner? 
And I never say that again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, never say knowledge again. Okay, Lindy, be quiet over there. Um, and I also was a, I'm a big fan with how Neil Gaiman chooses to play with Christianity and Judaism in particular, uh, Neil Gaiman being a Jewish person, he, he tends, the mythos of Neil Gaiman is a henotheistic approach to religion, uh, henotheism meaning all gods are real. You just have to pick your favorite ones. That is the approach that ancient Israelites took in the Old Testament up until about 600 BC. Fun fact for anybody. Um, and so I really liked like pulling in characters from the Kabbalah in Jophiel, who is one of the angels of the seventh heaven in the Kabbalah. He is the angel that taught all the languages to the people. And so I kind of like the idea of the angel of story. The angel of languages is the angel that got pulled into the Sandman universe. That was pretty cool. Um, I, yeah, I was just, I was a big fan. I really liked the first half of the story being about William Shakespeare, but then I really liked the second half starring Heather after that was probably where the story really came alive for me and her journey into fairy because one of my favorite comics of all time, no competition is Hellboy, which also loves to play with fairies and the idea of their waning influence in our world. So it touched on a lot of themes that I really like with a really charming central character in Heather after. Yeah, I love that so much. And I have to, I, I'm, you know, honestly biased, but I do think that when the stories switched to being focused on Heather and her journey, I did think I did feel like it picked up a lot of steam. It took me a little bit to figure out like where that first arc fitting. Cause it feels like the first arc is just like a third of the story. And then the last two thirds feels like it's all about Heather and her journey through fairy and, you know, just trying to save herself and, um, fulfill the promise she made to the fairy king or king in disposed or whatever. (laughs) But um, it's, it all comes down. A lot of the story really works to me because it focuses a lot on the theme of identity. And I think choosing to make Heather a transgender character really fits that so perfectly. Um, One of my absolute favorite moments in this book is undoubtedly the moment where to try to defeat her, Puck pulls out her um, medical records and pulls out her dead name and tries to use that as like, hey, I know your quote unquote real name. So now I have power over you. And Heather basically takes that to to slap him down and says, you don't know shit. And that was such a triumphant moment right here at the end of this book. Every character in the story, whether it's Heather or whether it's... Um, Lindy, or whether it's Jophiel or Ruin, they all have arcs that revolve around the theme of identity and trying to find who you actually are versus who you think you should be versus who others think you should be. And that's what makes it so great to me. And they all have the same kind of resolution at the end where it's like they all have these anchors that are supported by love they all have these things that tether them to the real world and remind them 
<clears throat> who they are and who they actually want to be. Because Heather has Todd, who is one of the best boyfriends I've ever seen in any comic ever. I love him so much. Ruin has Ben, who he spends the entire story trying to get to, trying to overcome um, his desire to not be a nightmare. Because he's like, I don't want to be a nightmare. I just want to go love this cute boy. And, you know, completely fair. Go do your thing, Ruin. And then you have Lindy, who's struggling with her own dissertation and her entire life's work and trying to figure out where she fits into that until she gets to the end she's like you know what it's all perspective anyway i have a daughter now and she's what really matters so let's just get this thing done it doesn't really matter who the real shakespeare was and i think all of those work together so so well to make a story that's just really beautiful about coming to terms with who you are and not you know, listening to what other people have to say, because it's all about perspective, and the only perspective that matters is yours. Preach. I do have to say, <laughs> um, honorable mention to our sweet baby Ruin, when you said <laughs> the trying not to be a nightmare and just go love this cute boy. I wanted to say so about me in high school. <laughs> I was an absolute menace. But that's all right. Absolute criminal. Um, but no, I, I love sweet little baby Ruin. He's supposed to be left alone. Just let, let him go get his little boy. Oh, I love I love them. They're my favorite. Oh, you can just I find s- them in their dreams. They're so cute. Oh, my gosh. I got to say, I gotta, I want to see your reaction to um, when you meet your next nightmare, which will probably be the Corinthian. I want to see... Um, I want to get your your takes on what you think of these two compared to each other. Just, I was going to say, we did meet some spooky ones. We did meet some spooky well, ones, but you but haven't... I don't think you've met, met the spookiest yet. I don't even want to know that. Don't tell me that. <laughs> I already can't walk through my own house with the lights off. Oh, you're going to have fun. Lex, I'm just going to throw it out there. The Corinthian, he has teeth for eyeballs. Like a mouth... With these big old teeth, where his eyeballs should be, and he wears a pair of sunglasses to cover it up. Spooky. <laughs> Ew. Oh, I'm so excited. See, yeah, I, this this book made me extremely excited to read slash listen to Sandman. I think that's why, because I finished it early this morning at work, and I was like, hmm, time to look. Sandman on my Audible, and I downloaded it with my one credit that I get a month. Love it. I wasted my one credit for you bitches. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was a waste, but hey, I'm, I'm I'm glad the served as a really good appetizer for you. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It was like a lovely little soup. <laughs> <laughs> I think this lovely little soup had the best possible author for it oh yeah i think g willow wilson is an incredible talent in comic books Mm -hmm. um she just she has a way with words man that just gets you where you live where there's such a strength of interpersonal relationship there's such a strength of character there's Nobody does the theme of self-discovery better than G. Willow Wilson. And I think everything she touches turns to gold, honestly. I I don't know that she would have sprung to mind for me as like, who do I want 
playing in the Sandman universe because mm-hmm. Sandman to me is stories about stories about stories about stories about stories about Alan Moore and um, just teasing but not really <laughs> and Jewel Wilson isn't someone that jumps to mind for me as someone who loves to write stories about stories but when you really peel back the layers of her comics she loves to write about the story of people mm-hmm. right like people's interpersonal story their inner monologue versus what happens to them outside and deciding to take sandman which at times for me can feel a little detached with morpheus as the lead morpheus being someone who feels very above it all right i don't feel the human connection in the early stories I think interjecting G. Willow Wilson and the characters that she creates into this narrative really helps you sink your teeth into the fascinating world of Neil Gaiman. Oh, absolutely, for sure. There's, I love the idea that dreams tell a story and that from those stories you can learn more about yourself. And I feel like that's the that's the part where G. Wheeler Wilson's like, that's that's what I can do. I'm going to focus on that. And she absolutely nailed it. And you're right. Everything she touches turns to gold. If you're not checking out Poison Ivy right now, make sure you go check that book out because, wow, she's going to do some incredible things on that. Um, whether you like it or not, just kind of stick around for the ride. I think it's going to be worth it in the long run because she is a writer who definitely sets things up to be delivered and she set up some big things in poison ivy i'm excited to see played through and also if you are a big fan of the miss marvel tv show right now g willow wilson was a co-creator of miss marvel that whole first Mm -hmm. 50 issue run is written by g willow wilson and is incredible so yeah she is a real talented cookie frankly yeah And there's so much depth and so much heart in that run. I think a lot of people don't necessarily see that because they see the the goofier moments and they're just like, oh, this is just another, you know, fun, silly Marvel comic. It's, you got to give the Willow Wilson run a shot for Miss Marvel because it's just outstanding S-tier comics, 100%. Yes. I need an Omni reprint and then a second Omnibus to cover that whole run to put on my shelf. Oh, please. But enough of other things that she's done that are great. I want to focus back on this one. Just talking um, through some of these lovely characters and what makes them click. Let's start with, um, let's go to Joe Fiel. Because I want to hear some more about what you have to say about him, Dallas. And how you think, how you feel he played into the story and how he fit into the narrative. I, I don't know, man. I, I like the introduction of an angel, frankly. I, like I said, for anyone who does not know, my background is in the Hebrew Bible, specifically First Temple stuff, which was when the Judaism was pretty weird in the First Temple period. And I am a huge fan of that. And a big part of cherubs, and angels and all that comes from this period and a cherub in modern myth is like the little chubby wing dudes with love arrows Mm -hmm. right that is not what they were in 
the Hebrew Bible. The cherub were big winged angels, big like warriors. Cherubs guarded the tree of life with a flaming sword in the Old Testament. There are like different denominations of angels. There are cherubs and seraphim. Seraphim are fire. Cherubs are uh, the winged ones. And that's kind of the differentiation between the two, at least within the actual Hebrew Bible. And to see an angel who has fallen from grace, specifically Jophiel, who was in the seventh heaven, the highest heaven next to God, they bring it up a little bit in the story, someone who was like at the foot of God, right-hand man, to be cast down. I mean, for Christian readers, there's a very famous angel that was cast down, who is also a major character in Sandman, being Lucifer. And so I couldn't help but have that in mind looking at Jophiel, seeing Lucifer as not only a character of the Greek New Testament, but in Sandman, you see someone who feels spurned by that casting out and decides to become a menace. (laughs) And you get to juxtapose that with Jophiel, who sees it as an opportunity to regain God's favor, right? Mm -hmm. You get to see this arc of Jophiel realizing that it is not staying apart from the world that will redeem him and sanctify him back into the presence of God, but an active engagement in the betterment of the world that will sanctify him. And I think doing that storyline with an angel is very interesting because for so many religious traditions, angels and all things ethereal or heavenly are completely devoid of the natural world, right? You have the spiritual and the natural. And for many religious traditions, those things are not meant to intermingle. We are supposed to aspire to the spiritual while disliking the natural. And that that has never really rang true for me. Um, I, For anyone that's listening to this that doesn't already know, I am I'm a Christian person. I, I believe strongly in, in Jesus. I like my own brand of Jesus. I don't like uh, store brand Jesus. But good organic grass-fed Jesus is all about how that heavenly being here, being in the dirt, being in the muck with everybody else can be a really tremendous magical thing, right? You take the most heavenly being and put him in the lowliest place and watch how he transforms the world. And I really liked the fact that Jophia was put next to ruin, next to everybody else in the story, seemingly in the lowest low, and you get to see how his love, his shine, his desire to help can't help but boil over. He's like a a reluctant religious figure, which I feel like rings out to me a little bit. I think sometimes I, I don't like to be involved in other people's crap, but I think there's something truly righteous about putting other people's needs before your own. And I was incredibly happy with the conclusion of Jophiel's story as an angel who was redeemed and sanctified, not because of religious piousness, but because of his willingness to love and help someone regardless of their relationship to his brand of religion. 
right? Like there was no conversion of ruin to the Judeo-Christian God, but there was a loving acceptance and a helping towards happiness of ruin that God was looking for out of Jophio. And I think that's a cool lesson to take home with you as someone who wants to follow the Judeo-Christian God, that your main role is to bring happiness and love into the life of the people around you. God, I love getting to hear you talk about stuff like this. I love when you go on those little tangents. I love when a character lets you do this. And I'm really, really thankful because Jophiel was a character who wasn't exactly my favorite in this one. His his arc was the one I was struggling with the most because I couldn't Mm -hmm. click with it. But getting to hear you talk and give that context to it, give that background to it, it really, really helps. So thank you a lot for that insight. Anytime. (laughs) Anytime. Lexi, I'm going to pass it over to you because I want you to talk about our favorite nightmare for a little bit, Ruin, and about everything he went through in this journey. He starts as someone who messes up because he wants to go and be a real boy, basically. He wants to get into the nightmares of this this man that he loves and he accidentally traps a human world a human woman in the dreaming which is kind of a big no-no because he is he's stuck with the baby and it's kind of awkward so tell us about ruin and his struggles in the story and what you liked about him deal um i love ruin i feel like interestingly enough um i would say that he is probably the character that i kind of clung to the most um as someone who kind of grew up being told that I am like the black sheep and the troublemaker of the family, the one that always kind of gets caught doing the shit you're not supposed to do. Uh, I feel very seen by the quote unquote nightmare that wants to be good. That doesn't have that desire to be so terrible all the time, even though they're being put in that box. And I know that might sound a little bit dramatic, but um, it's very interesting. Like, it's very interesting, I mean, navigating your young life and especially, I feel like love and the emotion of love and desire can make you do some batshit crazy stuff. And so I feel like that's very well portrayed in in the first arc that we get with Ruin accidentally trapping... Lindy in her, in the dream world and and then getting saddled with her sweet little baby who I also wanted to mention. I love how the baby and his, is it Jovial? Uh, Yeah, Jofio. Jofio. It means. uh... (laughs) Him and the baby, they're a BFF. He talks baby. He does talk baby because he's an angel and he just came to take the baby to her mom. Oh, so cute. I love, I actually loved the first arc. If I'm going to be honest, I, there were a lot of things that made me very emotional about the first arc. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I want to get a hundred percent into all of them. Um, but it was a it was a really heavy hitter for me. I feel like, of course, like we'll get there, but the second arc was phenomenal. But the first one, like, I feel like it was such a good setup to the story. I feel like mm-hmm. watching Ruin get to the point and kind of try to sneak out, quote unquote, of his parents' house <laughs> to meet up with his with his one true love that he met in a dream. 
I just feel like it's so telling to a young mind. You just feel like in your mind, the one, like that first, first feeling of love, like you just, you're just dramatic. You just, you want to go to the ends of the earth to be with that person. And I feel like this did a really awesome way of portraying how that feels. And I just thought it was really cute and sweet. And like, because I mean, to be honest, like at the beginning, ruin is a nightmare. They are created, nightmares are created to be nightmares. They are not good, wholesome beings. But we see ruin when they get snapped out into the real world and there's just this baby laying in front of him, like, oh, okay, I just accidentally imprisoned your mother. So you get to come with me, I guess. And just picks up the baby and totes it to their to the BFF Angel's house. Um, and I feel like the most endearing thing about Ruin's story is that everybody feels for him. I feel like no one can blame the emotions that he's having. And I feel like that's very telling as well. And I feel like that's just really pure and happy about that first arc and that first story. Like Ruin could have just bailed. He could have just been like, ah, eh, not my problem. I'm out. Cool. I'm going to go find my little boy toy and run away into the wind. But he took that baby and he took it upon himself to rescue Lindy. And I feel like that was really awesome for me. And I feel like that was a lot of character development right off, right out the get-go, honestly, which was really mm-hmm. impressive to me. And I mean, I know that we mentioned that we met a lot of characters um, that will come back or that had been, that were cameos. And I'm sure the master of <laughs> Dream World was the, probably the biggest one that I missed mm-hmm. out on, but um, it was a given that he was very important. And it just was really rewarding at the end of that arc to have that master be like, you, you did a good, like you did a good thing. And I want to quote unquote reward you, but also kind of teach you a lesson, you little shit ball and let you have mortality, but with mortality becomes death. And that was just kind of like the double edged sword to that one. Um, and we kind of get pushed right into our second arc, but, um, I really love, I, I really loved Ruin and I loved the start of that story and this story and how it was kind of Ruin that kicked it all off. So I'm a big fan. It was pretty fun. Huge fan of Alexis relating to the nightmare and me relating to an angel. Shit. You are the angel child. Be quiet. I think that that is really telling of who we actually are and not only what mm-hmm. we're perceived as. Yes, um, I am the I am the angel that got cast down to hell. We'll Alexis leave it is a nightmare and I am a sweet <laughs> angel baby. I am the one that has a nose ring. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> I was going to say, very telling that I was able to read you both so effectively. It's true. And set us up. <laughs> That was a trap. Listen, we, we're not subtle people. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> it's not our strong suit. No. Um, yeah, it's all, but speaking of subtlety, it's all very Shakespearean, isn't it? Ooh. This whole story. There's so much romance, love, 
Um, there's, you know, there's everything there. There's witches, there's mischievous forest spirits, there's kings and queens. It's so, so great to me that this is one of those stories that gets to to tap into that. The, the love for the bard, the love for the master of all stories. And I love how the first arc utilized that with Lindy's story and her trying to come into her own. Because um, for anyone who hasn't read the story, if you've come this far in the show, um, Lindy is the first human character we get introduced to. And Sandman has a very common theme where at the beginning of the arc, you'll meet like the central human figure who kind of gets sucked into all the dream world's bullshit and is just kind of like along for the ride. And they learn a lesson by the end, which is always really interesting. And Lindy's was basically you gotta you gotta chill a little bit because her whole thing is she's a struggling college student who is a single mother working on a PhD that is probably going to be utterly useless because she's um <laughs> taking she's um taking her PhD in Shakespearean st- studies. I forget what the actual PhD was. I felt very seen by them being like, <laughs> nobody goes into academia for money. And I was like, that's why I stopped. I was was well on the path. And then I abandoned ship because mm-hmm. shit costs money. And oh, I can't yeah. just trade little trinkets of Hebraisms to people. I'm like, would you like me to tell you your name in Hebrew? Give me a, <laughs> give me a whopper. Like, <laughs> can't do that. It off. He, you actually are the mischievous forest spirit of the podcast. <laughs> it's me, Pippi Longstocking. We sound like the Lucky Charms leprechaun. Be quiet. Oh, hell, what's the name of the leprechaun in American Gods? Oh, shit. Oh. oh, I'm getting my American Gods Mad card. Sweeney. Mad, Mad Sweeney. Sweeney. Fuck. Hi, Mad Sweeney. Let me tell you some Hebraisms. Give me a nice cup of mead. American Gods is so good. Neil Gaiman's so just—I think this Neil Gaiman guy is actually pretty talented. I think so. I definitely think he'll make it. You know? Yeah. I believe in this kid. Oh. <laughs> We're praying for you, Neil. <laughs> Neil is a very close friend of the pod. <laughs> <laughs> look, look. I've if I ever talked to Neil Gaiman, I think I would actually pass away like a like a force ghost the moment after. Yeah, that's what happened when we talked to Tilly. I literally laid on the floor in my living room for 25 <laughs> minutes. Cried. I think, honestly, Neil Gaiman might be my Tilly Walden. There's a I lot of authors the up there. But... I put it into the universe and we talked to Tilly. So everybody put I... it into the universe. Moment of silence. We're going to talk to Neil Gaiman. Put your fingers on your temples, and It works. Oh, my gosh. If I thought that Kieran Gillen made me feel dumb, I couldn't imagine what talking to Neil Gaiman would be like. I'll send him talking an email. To Neil Gaiman would be like talking to a wizard. <laughs> talking to a... <laughs> It's like you meet that final boss in the video game. You're just like, I am not ready for this. I'm not ready. I got to go you... back and play the side levels. Be right back. <laughs> Want to hear a fun story about Neil Gaiman? Oh, God, yes. yes. So Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore are good friends. Yes. Alan Moore is Other sort of a, well. a mentor to Neil Gaiman. And while Alan Moore was writing from hell, he read the the like last really gruesome murder to neil uh and he's like you think this works and it got neil like so worked up that when alan went to go to the bathroom neil went to go run away because he's like he like felt sick and like so scared he didn't want to talk about it anymore and he's like i was getting all my stuff and i was running out of the pub and then i just hear behind me and like the deep voice of alan moore well if it isn't scaredy trousers game (laughs) and 
And so, right about stars falling from the sky. And so, Alan Moore to this day will call Neil Gaiman scaredy trousers because From Hell was too scary for Neil Gaiman. Oh, we love sweet baby Neil. I mean, totally fair. Alexis looking at this 50 year old man. What a sweet, tender baby. Our sweetest child. Staring down actual wizard <laughs> overlord Alamore. You leave him alone. Literally. Yeah, literally. Wag oh, my finger at you. Scaredy, <laughs> trous- scaredy trousers game. In his oh. defense, that last chapter shook me up pretty bad too. I slept with the lights on that and night. Gosh, I love From Why Hell. Why don't we do a spooky God. month? That was you a know, crime. <laughs> I can't believe we're going to do it again. That's what you think. Also, <laughs> never tell Dallas this, but I actually really liked From Hell. It might be one of the best books I've read on this show. From Hell and Austerious Polyp are the two best comics ever written. What was that last one again? Austerious Polyp by David Mazzucchelli. That's a new one. What the hell Give it a read. Okay. No. If you... If, the if moment I figure out how to spell hell. it, you know... If From Hell is the very peak of what a writer can pull off with an artist collaborator, um, Austerious Polyp is the very peak of what an artist unmoored by a writer can pull off. Like the visual storytelling in Austerious Polyp is banana pants. Like, banana pants. <laughs> there's literally like no more visually dense story and i don't mean like complicated images because it's actually pretty straightforward imagery but like every fucking picture feels like this paragraph you have to dissect and be like now what the hell does this mean and it's like two little cartoons looking at each other like what's up glub shitto and you're like <laughs> it carries so much meaning <laughs> oh oh my gosh I don't know if my small brain can handle that it's very good oh. it's about a man and a woman falling out of and then back in love okay I'll I'll try it. I'll try something that big brain. Put some put some hair on my brain. We'll do this. You <laughs> know, put some hair on my brain. The second volume of this. Let's talk about Heather after. Everybody, You want me to talk um about the Shakespeare um authorship question a little bit first? Because I found some interesting things. Yes. Okay. Show notes, so, <laughs> so Lindy's um, whole thesis is based on the, the question of the Shakespeare um, authorship, which is a theory that got circulated about 200 years after Shakespeare died. So, you know, staying pretty current. What the fuck are you doing, Dallas? <laughs> I'm trying to read serious notes, and Dallas is. I have a I lot know. to say about Anne Hathaway, so shut up. <laughs> He's giving us all of her queen impression over there. <laughs> it's all about keeping your tongue wide and firm anyways so the the people who believe shakespeare didn't actually write shakespeare's plays are called anti-stratfordians because they don't believe that shakespeare was actually from stratford under avalon and they believe that basically shakespeare's origins were far too humble for him to be a genius I was watching a video, um, a professor talking about this, and basically um, it seems a lot of the theories that sprung out have been um, hypothesized to spring from a lot of privilege and a lot of um, classism. 
because a lot of people didn't believe that Shakespeare being of the class he was and being born to parents who people believed were illiterate could actually achieve levels of literary mastery that he achieved in his lifetime. So they um, kind of gave it to other people and said, like, these were all smart people around that time. It was probably one of them. And they all claimed that Shakespeare would have taken the credit for it because they needed to keep those other authors either safe from persecution or because other people wouldn't have ever given the works the time of day if they believed that someone of a different, say, gender or race had written them. And we meet a few of them in the story. There's some of them pretty comical. I My personal favorite was um, Illuminati Shakespeare with his little pyramid head. Um, yeah. Absolute queen favorite. Um, and there are some others like um, Sheikh Zabar. And from actual history, there were others who were credited with his work, including Francis Bacon, who was... Um, I believe British royalty at the time, who would have understood, you know, the dynamics of the royal court, which is some of the things that Shakespeare wrote about. And the people are like, well, Shakespeare wasn't even close to that. How did he understand and get to write the complexities of that political structure? So they kind of associated with him or Edward de Vere, who was an Earl of Oxford for the same reason. Um, Christopher Marlowe was another suggested um, candidate who is another playwright and actor. And there were also female candidates like Mary Sidney, Emilio, um, Emilia Bassano, and of course, Shakespeare's wife. And just, yeah, a lot of those theories sprung out years later, and people still believe them to this day. I'm pretty sure, um, what's his name? Jeremy Irons is a, supposedly an anti-Stratfordian from what I found in my research. So these are theories that still circulate today. And just why? Well, basically the same reason any other conspiracy theory goes around. It's exciting to talk about and people like to imagine a more romantic view of like how these great things came to be. So whether they're real or not, I didn't find a lot of evidence in my quick like hour research to find a lot of like strong, real, <laughs> strong reasons behind it. A lot of people cited like, oh, well, in his letters to other people, he never talked about his writing or his... um his signature was too sloppy to be from someone who is literate. It's a lot of like really loosey goosey types of arguments. And I think the real cool thing here is it plays into that theme for Lindy of it's just like, does it really matter who wrote the works? Because it's all about how she saw them, how they affected her. And I think she put too much, the character in the story put too much pressure on herself to see things through a certain lens to make it more fantastical than it actually was when really the simplest answer was probably the best. And I liked that at the end, she realized that got her dissertation approved and realized that the most important thing for her right now was Anne, her family and just taking that pressure off of herself to find something. If there wasn't anything there, I think that was really, really cool and plays into a lot of the other themes in the story. So I didn't see that the first time through, but I definitely think the second read through made Lindy's arc, Lindy's whole story click a lot better for me. And the Shakespeare theory, honestly, interesting, but not very convincing for me. That's so Question. interesting. Anne, hmm? have you ever seen, so correct me, Shakespeare's wife's name's Anne Hathaway, correct? Yes, I knew have it was something seen... famous I couldn't remember. <laughs> Have you seen the Anne Hathaway Shakespeare uh, theory? Theory. That's the word I'm looking for. I have not. 
it is theorized that our Anne Hathaway is a time traveler. Oh. And is actually Shakespeare's wife. Because if you okay. look up a picture of Shakespeare, he looks just like Anne Hathaway's current husband. Ooh. I like and it. And everyone is like, mm, they're time travelers. And Shakespeare. Uh, did you know that Ford. President Lincoln was in a Ford and President <laughs> JFK was in a Lincoln? There are yeah. tunnels. Hey. hey. You shush! Stop making fun of this very serious theory. This this is fact. This is honestly, I believe it a thousand percent. Look it up. Look up a picture of Anne Hathaway's husband and Shakespeare. Uh, Les happened. She was there. (laughs) She sold her teeth and cut off her hair. Do that. Be quiet. Don't make it worse. (laughs) Leave her alone. I have seen that live on a theater. In the West End. Don't make me don't make me get out this call. I will end this call. I will breathe too hard on my mic and end this call. We will quit right here. (laughs) But that's I think we have everything covered except for the character that we picked the story this week for, Heather After. Do we want to get into our favorite Shakespeare witchy witch? She take it away, Anne. You you this character spoke to you. You cherry-picked our characters for us, so feel free. <laughs> Take it away. Blow us all away. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good song. <laughs> that is such a good song. Let me guess. You saw that one, too? Did you see that one? Of course I you have. did. He yeah, of course you fucking did. did. I went to New York City to see it for my 21st birthday. With our mom. Because she's yes, cool. With my mom. And my mom. <laughs> <sighs> Tourist mom is a different mom. <laughs> So, <laughs> talking about Heather After. Heather After is a character who, when I first found out about her, I was really, really bummed because I had no idea. It was at a moment where I was like, I really wish DC was doing something with transgender characters at the moment because nothing's out there. I don't see a single damn thing. And no one told me that this book existed. And it was just going on for, for a whole year. And I'm like, I feel like I was denied critical need to know information for so long. And the first thing I ever, the first moment I ever saw of her was someone sharing the moment where she, um, where Puck tries to pull her dead name on her, like I talked about earlier. And I was like, okay, instantly, instant queen shit, I need to read this. Read through the story, and there was so much with Heather that I fell in love with. There's this sense of importance that she has with herself where she realizes who she wants to be and she she claims it and she took it and that was such an inspirational moment for me because I feel like there's still moments where I'm trying to figure out who I am and to have the confidence to be that person and it's getting easier but Heather is an inspiration in the way that she knows what she wants and by the end of the story she accepts even like she accepts every part of herself, even like the past. There's such a large part of the story where she's like, I'm descended from the Burgesses who, Lexi, spoilers, um, are the ones who imprisoned Dream for about 70 years. And that was not a good thing. Um, kind of kind of a dick move, as they would say in some circles. A hashtag problematic. <laughs> hashtag wait, problematic. Wait. Hashtag. They didn't spoil that. They said it in the book. Okay, good, good, yeah, good. We're good, we're good. I need- <laughs> hashtag Burgess's over party (laughs) um and she spends so much of the story saying I don't want to be these people I won't be these people and she's just like I'm Heather that's it that's all 
And I love the moment at the end where she stands up to dream for her friend, for her friend's love and for his life. And she says, if you mess with him, I will pull the same shit they pull on you because I'm a Burgess and I know how to do it. And I love that moment of her claiming her entire identity. I thought that was so amazing. She's such a smart character. She's such a powerful character too. I love the sorcerers and sorceresses and witches and like the DC universe or like they it's like I know a spell that could break the world but I'm just going to be like really chill and I'm going to go to the club tonight. <laughs> I love the moment where she calls John Constantine and Constant I love that they're on like that first name basis with a just like oh my god, you of course. I it means so much to me to see a character like that just existing and living her best life. And speaking of living her best life, the relationship between her and Todd, one of my favorite relationships I've ever seen in any comic ever. Todd is such a wonderful character who I was so scared when I first met him that after seeing the the witchy stuff for the first time that he would be like, nope, I'm out, I'm done, I'm out, I'm gone, bye-bye. But he stuck around and he was such a supportive and go-getting boyfriend. I love that he's just like... He saw the craziest shit in the world and he's still here to support his woman. And that means so much to me, especially considering it's he's a cisgender, um, heterosexual male as far as I know. And I love seeing um, a trans woman in a hetero relationship. I think that's so, so cool. It's so undervalued how important that can be for trans women to see that. Because the the description of their first date when he's talking about how they went to this place and he could tell that she was so nervous and scared that whole time. And that's something that so many trans women have to deal with because the violence against us is so high. It's dating is scary and dangerous. And to see, to have that bit of escapism where there's like, there are good people out there and they do have this good relationship. It just made my heart really, really happy. And yeah, it's just, this is, such a good story for her this is a story where the trans woman is in a place of power um compared to the last time that a trans woman was in a same man story which was wanda man this is a very very different situation because i feel like wanda was there just as like a a bystander of that plot line but heather is the one driving this one forward and it's crazy to see how far this universe has come in just 20 years and so, yeah, for all those reasons, and I could go on and on about how special Heather is to me, but this is this is the reason the comic stood out to me. Just one character can can make it or break it, and she definitely made it. Heather is such a dynamic, fun character, and she, like she has the punk rock magic attitude of a John Constantine, while bringing her own flavor of fun i like Mm -hmm. how confident she is i like how capable she is um but i do think for me the thing that stood out the very most like you said was the relationship with todd um i thought it was very cool for the story to demonstrate that not only are trans women women within certain circles trans women are women period right like a heterosexual Mm -hmm. man dating a trans woman is a perfectly normal wonderful Mm -hmm. thing to happen and it can be a loving strong relationship and that's just something that i had never seen before even in fiction Mm -hmm. i had never seen that dynamic and it made my heart warm it made me happy to see two people making each other happy 
in that way. You know, I think everybody deserves love that fulfills them, right? Mm-hmm. And every person on earth needs to be loved in their own unique, special way. And having a story where we got to see Heather loved just the way she needed was really special. And I think you, the listener of the Comics Collective, and even if you're not listening to this, I think that you are deserving of finding the kind of love that rings truest for you. Right. I'm watching, I'm currently watching the HBO television version of the time traveler's wife with my wife. And it's very good by the way, but the time titular time traveler's wife this week, she said, love is the most powerful thing in the universe and the meaning of life. You are meant to find love and that doesn't necessarily have to be romantic love that doesn't have to be love that comes with sexual relations that doesn't need to be any kind of particular version of love it's just that feeling of acceptance that feeling of being desired and wanted more by someone else than anyone else and or someone's else um and I just, I like that this, that is something this story explored. I agree. I also love something I wanted to kind of tack on that too about their relationship in the book is I love, for me at least, how just so normal it felt. And I love that like, I feel like the funniest thing to me, it is closer to the beginning, um, but when he does see her magic for the first time, and he was like, I thought your magic was just like a side thing. And she was like, no, it was more of like a, we'll talk about it when we're six months in type of thing. And she's like, I wasn't really anticipating it being this early. And I just felt like they just had such a beautiful, normal, funny bond that you just, it's just so fun to see. Like you really do get into like the weirdest shit with your partner sometimes. And I also just love like the small gestures and like the small things that actually were such big things that he did for her. Like specifically um, when they were at the club and he was looking for her and he made, and there was a security guard that was going to make a comment. And he was like, I want you to think right now before you say a single word. And I think that was, that struck out to me specifically. And also when he wanted to bring her that amulet to the hospital, he's like, I need to do this. This is my thing. I'm going to do it. And kind of was just like that knight in shining armor that was going to be right next to her side going through everything. And allowing her to still be the badass that she is. But he was like, I will, I will be there to help you in any way that you need. And I just felt like that was so endearing to watch. Listen, us wife guys need representation too. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes your wife is the more dynamic person in the relationship. <laughs> and you are there. To hold her little piece of wood while she's putting up her floating shelves that will make her feel whole. And other times, you will just move out of the way in the kitchen because she is the master chef and you are the sous chef. 
even though you kind of <laughs> thought you were going to be the master chef that night. But your goal is to be the wife guy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's something that needs to be normalized because a lot of men need to do that sometimes too. Listen, Pity loving kitty. submission. Top. <laughs> it all comes full circle. It's like poetry. Exactly. It rhymes. <laughs> Should I read the Glenn question of the week? <gasps> Absolutely. Absolutely. We just have the Glenn question this week, but Glenn he wrote three. Glenn, you are wonderful and perfect. Number one fan. We need to make him a t-shirt. Take kills in the fort right now. Fortnite, we about to get down. Um, Glenn says, dear sandwiches. Excellent. I'm a chicken farm, personally. I think Anne wants to be sandwiched between two women. And Alexis is a meatball sub. You a meatball sub, and I love you for it. I'm definitely a sub. I just can't. We come from the same marinara sauce, Alexis. It's a different kind of sub for you, Andy. <laughs> exactly. Sandwich between two space blondes, she says. <laughs> I don't. I don't search them out. They just come to me. Just find you. Titty's so nice. She s- seeks them out twice. <laughs> Fucking um, shit. <laughs> All right, so do your sandwiches. I adore Sandman. If you badmouth it in any way, I'm coming for you. Glenn is good. Sandman is good. We got no bad things. Glenn, I've seen the light. Sandman is good. (laughs) Uh, Mainly for Alexis, since I don't believe she's read the main series. Do you think this works as a standalone thing without the wider context of Sandman lore? I do. I think it was really fun. Um, I definitely feel like I kind of missed out a little bit on like the funzy cameos that you guys were talking about earlier, but I feel like it was a very good appetizer, like we mentioned earlier, and it definitely made me excited and made me download the Audible. So I'm a fan. Wonderful. Uh, very excited you got to meet Matthew the Raven, who is undoubtedly the best <laughs> yeah. character. Oh, and the little baby gargoyle, Goldie. Goldie. Do you know Goldie hangs out with literally Abel from the Abel and Cain story? Yeah. yeah. Good for Goldie. <laughs> yeah, Cain kills him once a day. Not Goldie, Abel. Oh, well, siblings. Yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> and uh, Eve is there and she's just like, you two sillies. Three Eves. Three which Eves? I loved, which is cool. Uh, that's all I'll say. Um... <laughs> The second question from Glenn. Who is everyone's favorite dreaming character? Glenn loves Marv and Matthew. I don't think I've met Marv, question mark. I think you... Why Matthew I, is like, the raven. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 yes. Matthew's, yes. Um, oh, yeah. Um, did he, um, he might have met Mervyn, the, um, the pumpkin head guy. If you remember him. I do remember. I don't think I've interacted with him a ton. Yeah. But sh- I do recognize him. He shows up a bit more towards the end. So Mer- Mervyn's fun. Um, favorite character from the Dreaming. Mine's definitely Matthew. I, I love that Raven so, so much. I'm a huge fan of Cain and Abel. And I love when they showed up in Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. I would Fine. say the one that kind of intrigued me the most is it Donna or Dora? 
that girl that helped ruin um with the filthy ears oh yeah i don't know i gotta figure out one second does she show up again I don't remember if she showed up in another series or not, because I don't remember her in the original Sandman. She oh. might be original for this book. I will do some due oh, she's diligence. Cool. She's she... the one that busted him out of his box. I'm also a huge fan of the fairy king and queen, oh, because yeah. in particular, the short story where Shakespeare performs Midnight Summer's Night Dream for the fairies mm-hmm. is one of my favorites. So it was fun to see them again and be like, hey, you're from that one part I like. I do also just like the multiple versions of Shakespeare. I think they're quite comical, the things mm-hmm. that they do throughout. Twas fun. Okay, so did my quick research. Jora is a relatively new character, but she did not debut here. She debuted in the Sandman universe number one, and I think she's from the original Dreaming series from Cy Spurrier that came out in 2018. Okay, there we go. So yeah, there's more door out there for you to enjoy. Very fun, very fun. This episode is actually not only the secret pilot for our Sandman episode, it is the secret pilot for John Constantine Hellblazer by Cy Spurrier, <laughs> which was also in the Sandman universe imprint. And is one of the best comics ever, period. Oh, I do have to honorably mention that my favorite is actually Heather's Thought Topic shirt. Oh my god. Everything else, irrelevant. (laughs) I want a Thought Topic shirt. I I do too. Honestly, that should be the shirt of the pod. Oh, let's make merch. Thought Topic. Let's make merch. We are the Thought Topics. (laughs) Thought Topic. The Thought Topic. I'm Thought Pocket. Thought Pocket. Because <laughs> I'm filled with pepperoni and cheese. It'd be cheese. like Posh Spice, but Thought Pocket. I'm Thought Pocket because I'm filled with pepperoni and cheese. <laughs> and I kind of have a strange creamy color that you hope will turn brown in the sun, but doesn't always. Oh my. Oh my lord. And. Immediately now. The cheese might even leak out. I don't know. I'm lactose intolerant. You can't keep going. Stop. You just keep making it worse. But unlike a Hot Pocket, I am not chilly on the inside. I'm warm and gooey. (laughs) Just the way you like it. We've got off Uh, the rails. Glenn. Hot Pocket. Question three. sometimes bring out the worst of us. Sometimes. Question three from Glenn Machette is, have any of you read Air? It was a Vertigo series by G. Willow Wilson before she hit it big with Miss Marvel. Glenn didn't connect with it, but Dark Horse is releasing it in August and would be interested to hear our thoughts. I know that G. Willow Wilson is proud of it. She said that it was very trippy and fun and thinks more people should read it. I have not read it. Me neither. Have you read it, Miss Anne? This is the first I've heard of it. It was from 2008. Wow. So yeah, this predates Miss Marvel. It was before I was even born. <laughs> this is, you know, this is um an old an old person's comic, I think. Um Glenn, I was 11 years old when it came out. No, I haven't read it. Glenn, I was 8. The end. 13. <laughs> it's fine. <sighs> 
This was kind of a chaotic one. A little bit. Yeah. But I still think we had a lot of good conversation. I might have one question for the pod. Yes. I will write in. Writing. What does everybody's dreamscapes look like if you could create one? Like Lindy's in the beginning. Yo, mine is pitch black. I sleep like I got... I'm not gonna lie to you. I do not remember the last dream I had. I I sleep like the equivalent of someone who was shot in the face until my alarm goes off and I awake like a zombie. I was conditioned from the age of five years old to hear a shrill beep in the morning and be like, "It is time to be awake." Beep boop, beep boop. Our dad has gotten to the point where he doesn't even use an alarm anymore. He just wakes up at 5.30 on the dot every day. Every day. Ooh, I Eyes just going open. I I have like a 15-minute radius that I wake up at around. It's terrible. Uh, about the same. And I'm always a little early. I'm I want a little late. That's why I have to have that stupid alarm. <laughs> <sighs> My dreamscape. Um, honestly, not PG-13. So I'm going to... I'm gonna... Ah! Keep it to Girls. myself. Remember Sextillion from Saga? It's <laughs> <laughs> dreamscape. Remember the boob centipede in the back? And the dinosaur. Dinosa- no. Remember Dildo Dinosaur? Also that. <laughs> Those two. And the ladies that are just heads and legs. I'm suing. I'm actually suing. <laughs> I'm gonna- Love that. Remember the angel orgy in the background? Yes, I'm trying not to remember the angel orgy in the whole thing. It's seared into our mind. Listen, Anne's brain's going. (laughs) (laughs) My my brain is always going. I can't. Um, I you know what? If I could visit any place in the dreaming, though, I'd love to visit that wayward house. That's um. Mm, That would be kind of fun. It's not from the penultimate volume of Sandman, but the one right before it. It's. Uh, I forget the actual name for it, but that's that's a cool place. How about you, Alexis? If I could go anywhere, all I would want to go is sit up on a cloud with lots of little dogs with little angel wings and just vibe up there for the rest of my life and never come down. I asked Carson if we could get another dog today. He told me not to come home. So <laughs> here we are. Thought pocket. I asked for a mini, a mini, a little weenie dog, and he said no. Okay, get a load of this. I want a wiener dog named Hot Dog. And then I can have a cat named Susan and a wiener dog named Hot Dog. That'd be the funniest <laughs> shit in the world. Susan and Hot Dog, that sounds like a children's novel. Well, Susan is going to be, what's the cat's name from He-Man? Battle Cat. Battle Cat. My dad planned it today in our family group chat. Mm-hmm. We're going to get a big He-Man toy, and it's going to ride Susan around the house. It is $260, so. Worth every penny. Do you have to get a saddle? Does it come a little kitty saddle? Addie's going to make a saddle, because she oh, okay. is um, my butch wife. The, yesterday, she was putting up shelves, and I was doing the dishes in my underpants, and she's like, <laughs> look at us just tackling gender norms. <laughs> oh. I was like, so true. <laughs> you're like, so true. And she's like, yeah, make me a sandwich. And you're like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> exactly. She goes, Dallas, Were you love that for you. Think about it. <laughs> love it. So yeah. should we close? 
I, I'm just I'm surprised you're not naming the weenie dog Glizzy. Hot dog is so much cuter. Just imagine just a little fellow oh, just plopping down long, just Winston. named Hot Dog. No. Winston the weenie. That's Are my... we Mr. Weenie? <laughs> I should name my real weenie Winston. No. Don't ruin that name for me. To quote the guy that was in my DMs the other day, I bet you barely even have a medium dick. It's the most specific, strange insult I've ever gotten. I was so bored. A medium dick. It's like, bro, at least come up with a funny burn. Don't just be like, I bet you have average genitals. <laughs> you know, he's just jealous. <laughs> you don't even have that. All right, everyone. Neither do I. Oh, oh we got to go before you say okay. something cursed. All right, everyone. <laughs> if you like our show and want to hear more from us, can't imagine why you would. Um, please follow our account at the CMX Collective. Oh, that's on Twitter, by the way. I forgot that part. Um, or you can find each of us at our personal accounts at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. You give us a five-star review. And if you write something down, we'll read it off on the show. It's been a minute since someone wrote something down. So you should, you, right now, yes, you, <laughs> listener who hasn't done it yet, you should toodle over there. Tell us we're cute or something. It mm-hmm. does so much for our little brains. And finally, if you have any questions or comments or concerns, you know, any, all of the above, send them to us at the Thought Comics Pocket. Collective. <laughs> if you want Dallas to stop saying Thought Pocket, send those concerns to the Comics Collective at gmail.com. And do not invite them to share their concerns. We will be put out of business. I'm concerned that you're still doing the show. <laughs> I'm concerned I'm... that anyone's listening. All right, but if you like us that much and you want to tune in next week for our episode, we will be going over and reading The Prince and the Dressmaker. Ooh. It's going to be a good one. Also, we got to hurry up because I have to go potty. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <Me too. laughs> I'm, I'm reading some thought pocket I'm stuff. Little, I'm okay. doing a little Irish jig over here. Okay. Bye. Bye. Me butt cheeks. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>